Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. the big thing on total soccer show the weekly episode where we sink our teeth into one of soccer's meatier topics today we're turning our attention to current bundesliga leaders Bayer Leverkusen. In his first senior managerial role, Chabi Alonso has Diverkself flying high with only four points dropped from 13 league games. We're looking at why they're so good right now, what they've been doing right, who are their key personnel, how long their success can last and what any potential flaws may be. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to discuss this and much more, we have Columbus, Ohio's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. It's me. I'm in Columbus. I'm Columbus's Joe Lowry. That's that's who I am. That's me. <laughs> Hello, Joseph. Uh, Graham Rutherford also joining us. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan. How are you? I'm very good indeed, Graham. I'm conflicted by this show, however. Um, this could be, Graham, the cruelest episode of Total Soccer Show we have ever done. <laughs> we are talking about Bayer Leverkusen, uh, Taylor Rockwell's favourite sh- uh, favorite team, his, uh, his, his cult team of the moment, mm. and he's not on this episode. Are we Are we bad people for doing this? Uh, yes, I think we already yep. knew the answer 100%. to that one. Um, I thought you were talking about the the TSS jinx, the TSS curse, which is very much a real thing at, at this point. Bayer Leverkusen, uh, top of the Bundesliga right now. How long will that last for? I'm not convinced it will last for much longer. Which might might explain why we're doing this episode now, while it yeah. still has a news, while it still has a news hook. But yeah, let's hope the curse isn't real and Bayer Leverkusen yeah. can 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 evade it. Yeah, Grim, the key to continuing the TSS curse is just to do it about title winners or title challengers in the Bundesliga. And then as long as we're not talking about Bayern <laughs> Munich, we can feel pretty good that eventually we will curse whichever team that we talk about. Also, Ryan, I felt like you almost said earlier that, that Bayer Leverkusen are Taylor's favorite show, which I do think watching Bayer Leverkusen games count as Taylor Rockwell's favorite show. Taylor likes mm. lots of shows. He likes lots of movies. I think watching Xabi Alonso's team might top that entire list. The Alonso show has got a ring to it. Maybe that's uh, maybe Apple can pick up on that at some point. Sounds good to me, Joe. Uh, by the way, Joe, uh, as I mentioned, you're in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, MLS Cup coming up this weekend. Looking forward to it? Absolutely. I'm, I'm stoked. I've never been to Columbus before, so this is my first time. David Goss recommended it fairly highly on our MLS show that we did earlier in the week. And I've only been here for about a day so far. It's it's really nice. I've enjoyed it a ton. Ohio has become, like, the state of Ohio has become a meme in the United States for whatever reason. But Columbus is great. I haven't been out to the stadium yet, but I'm, I'm heading there after we're done recording this today. Plenty of coverage coming here in the TSS feed. David and I will record after the game at some point to dig into the nitty-gritty. And then I'm doing a bunch of stuff for Backheeled as well. So it's it's been fun. I'm relieved to hear, Joe, that you're there for a game because I'm led to believe that Columbus has quite a large Germanic population. I think there's a German village, Mm. a a region of Columbus called the German village. I kind of thought you'd just flown to Columbus purely for this episode to give it some authenticity. A little little flair. Yes, a little authenticity. Um, That that was the secondary reason behind MLS Cup. Also, can I I confess something? I haven't posted this on social media yet. So I I actually flew into Cincinnati and then I drove up from Cincinnati to Columbus. I rented a car just because the flights cheaper and that was the the better fiscal decision and i was driving back from hanging out with with a few folks last night and a skunk scurries across the road and i slam on my brakes enough that i don't feel a giant well it wasn't a big skunk but i don't feel it underneath my tire so i didn't hit the skunk but then all of a sudden i'm driving back in front of the airbnb and i start to smell some of the spray coming in through the car so I get out of the car. I can feel it a little bit on my clothes. They're now hanging in the closet to my right. That's just off, off the camera. And I smelled them this morning, and they're fine. I have not been out to the car yet. I am desperately hoping that this rental car does not smell like skunk spray for the next three days. Yeah. Um, my fingers and toes are crossed, fellas. They're, they are crossed hard. Welcome to Columbus, Joe. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't even going fast. Like I was going like 30. Right? It's dark. I'm back in mostly like a neighborhood 
little residential area. And the skunk just does not care. Like it is completely unbothered that I'm clearly approaching it on the road. And I, again, I slammed on the brakes. So yeah, we're going to, we're going to see what, uh, what the car is like later this morning. I think a skunk running in front of the car is that not good luck? Does that not mean uh, Christian Ramirez hat trick? I'm pretty sure yeah. that's what that that's what that means. It's like superstition yeah. or something. Yeah, that's. I mean, everybody knows that. Yep, skunks mean Christian Ramirez hat trick wherever you are in the world, whatever sport you're into. That's what that means. Was it a very French uh, amorous skunk? I've heard oh, those ones. Oh, Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, yeah I think, there I we think go. it was. <laughs> I can only assume, Joe, that in one of your MLS rankings, you were rude about the crew at some point, and someone has set one upon you yeah, at this point. They're, they're sticking yeah. me with skunks, which is a, a great strategy, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, plenty to come on the feed from MLS Cup. Uh, Joe and Gas's uh, MLS show in lieu of a weekend review coming uh, for next week's feed, by the way, just so you know, listener. Um, but Today, of course, it is our big thing episode. We are talking Bayer Leverkusen. Graham, they be good. They be top of league right now. Yeah, absolutely. Leverkusen's uh, sensational <laughs> form has been one of the, the stories of the season so far. They have been in incredible form. They've yet to lose a game in the Bundesliga. They've won 11 out of 13 games. And the two games that they have dropped points in have been against Bayern Munich away from home and Borussia Dortmund at the weekend there. So that that is not bad at all, they've equaled their their best ever start to uh, or the best ever start to a Bundesliga season, equaling the start made by Pep Guardiola's Bayern Munich in the 2015-16 season. And it's not just the fact that they're winning; it's the way that they're winning as well. It's it's not like they're scraping victories; they are dominating games and really racking up the goals. So they've scored three or more goals in games against Leipzig, Gladbach, Darmstadt, Heidenheim, Mainz, Köln. Uh, Hoffenheim, Union Berlin and Werder Bremen. So that's nine out of 13 games they've scored three or more goals in, which is just incredible. So this isn't a Union Berlin story where last season we kind of predicted there would be an inevitable drop-off um, coming because underlying numbers I could find behind Leverkusen are also very impressive. They are overperforming their XG a, a little bit, but it's, it's still the second highest in the league right now. They are having the second most shots as well. So this, this is a serious team that Xabi Alonso has got at the moment, and there's good reason why people are billing them as potential title challengers. So Joe, where did this come from? Where did this title challenge come from? Could we have seen it coming, what they're producing right now? I don't know that I would have seen a title challenge coming for Bayer Leverkusen, but as far as where this came from, it's been a really impressive turnaround for Bayer Leverkusen over the last 14 months or so right now. And a lot of this and a lot of our discussion today will be focused on Xabi Alonso. And there's more to it, right? He's not the only character in this story, but he is a main character. And you can sort of trace Bayer Leverkusen's turnaround to when they bring in Xabi Alonso. So he was hired on October 5th of last year. So that's October 5th of 2022. Leverkusen were second from bottom after eight games. So early on in the year, they saw a time to turn it around, but they had some injury issues. They end up coming back and they obviously survived relegation. They have a very strong summer transfer window. And now this Bayer Leverkusen team is performing incredibly well. It's been 31 years since their last trophy. 31 years. That was the DFB Pokal in the 1992-1993 season. And now they are making a real genuine push, even though we do kid about Bayern Munich, they're making a real genuine push to be back at the top of trophy contention. Very good. Uh, Graham, just figured out, by the way, the Alonso show, uh, when we do put it into production, Jason Bateman to take the lead role there, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I've ever I've ever seen the two of them in this in the same room before. You might be on to mm. something there, Ryan. I, I like it. Yeah, Jason Bateman is Xabi Alonso in the biopic. Very similar indeed. Um, so uh, Bayern Leverkusen are three points ahead of Bayern Munich as we recall, but uh, Bayern Munich had the game in hand because their game was snowed off, of course, last weekend. They dropped points to Bayern Leverkusen for the first time in a long time last weekend against Borussia Dortmund. I suppose, Graham, it, it, the, the pattern, we don't want to uh, enact the TSS curse, but the pattern has been for Bayern Munich quite often to after the uh, Hinrooker, they get to the Rooker in the second half of the season and Bayern start to turn it on a little bit more than they have in the first half of the season. Are we, are we presuming yeah. that this is going to happen again? That is the fear, right? And for all that Leverkusen have been spectacular so far this season, and we've talked about an, an historic start to the season, how they've only dropped points twice against Dortmund and Bayern Munich and they're unbeaten they're still only three points ahead of Bayern Munich who who have a game in hand because last weekend's game uh, their game was postponed because of snow so I guess that kind of puts it into perspective the standard it takes to win a Bundesliga title over Bayern Munich 
that Leverkusen have had this strong start and Bayern can overtake them if they win their game in hand. But nonetheless, as I say, I think there is this sense that this Leverkusen team, and certainly Javi Alonso as a manager, is, is something special. Leverkusen, they will need to be lucky with injuries. Um, I think the lack of Champions League football has probably helped them and will continue to help them over the course of the season. They are in the Euro- Europa League. They're doing well in the Europa League. I think that is a trophy that they would like to win. But nonetheless, the Champions League puts more of a, a strain on squads. Um, but I haven't had a feeling about a title challenger in the Bundesliga since probably Jurgen Klopp at Dortmund. That that's as, It goes far back as that to identify a team that really felt like it was as good as this and it had a manager who you feasibly can envisage leading a team to a Bundesliga title that isn't a Bayern Munich manager. Right, and, and I think the, the caveat there, Graham, is obviously we did have a title race last year, right? Borussia Dortmund come in, they take it all the way to the to the finish line, basically, and then they fumble the bag on the on the one-yard line. But the difference was, it felt like last year's Bayern Munich team, it didn't just feel like that, that last year's Bayern Munich team was in chaos, at least in terms of Bayern Munich standards, maybe not Chelsea standards, or Manchester United standards, but for the Bundesliga and for Bayern Munich as the team that run the Bundesliga in every real way. They had a down year, and this year, it, it really doesn't feel like Bayern are having a down year. Yeah, they've dropped a few points here and there, and Leverkusen have two now, but I mean, Leverkusen are just playing really, really, really well. They've gotten so many things right this year, and, and yeah, there might be a bit of a drop-off here and there, but who knows what's coming in the second half of the year. So Leverkusen, I think, are in a bit of a different category, as you said, Graham, than Dortmund, just because last year, Dortmund were going up against a Bayern Munich team that kind of only had one leg and were you know on crutches towards the end. And and Joe, just to just to clarify, are we presuming if there is a title race in Germany, is it a two horse race? Obviously, Leverkusen and Bayern in there at the moment, but Stuttgart, for example, uh, two points behind Bayern in third place at the moment. Leipzig and Dortmund are a little bit off the pace at the moment, but maybe some other horses start to get closer to the finish line. It, it's not impossible, and Stuttgart are a team that I've been incredibly impressed with this year. Graham, you mentioned some of the underlying numbers. Stuttgart's underlying numbers are phenomenal, right? They've had a lot of success in the transfer market. This club has climbed a long way, even from when Pellegrino Matarazzo, American coach, was was leading them not too far in the distant past. I don't envision Stuttgart really being able to challenge here. Same with Dortmund, same with Leipzig. I, I think it is likely to be a two-horse race probably until March or so, which is maybe when Bayern could pull away. But there are other teams that could claw up a bit here too. Yeah, I would agree with that, Joe. The, the, there is a, a sliding doors moment though in this season, and I think it comes in the very first round of fixtures on on, on opening day of the new season where you have RB Leipzig against Bayer Leverkusen. They yeah. play each other and it's, it's a 3-2 thriller and, and Leverkusen come out with that, that 3-2 win. And even though Leverkusen were impressive in that game, it's, it still felt like things were settling a, a, a bit for them. And I don't know if, if Leipzig come out of that game, if they're the team that comes out of that with 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 the, uh, with the three points, with the win. Uh, I just wonder if we're talking about them as title contenders because they have such a threat th- themselves. We talked about Lois Appenda in, in the Champions League review. We saw the trouble that they caused Manchester City. They're not that far back. So football is weird like that. You know, it, it, single matches can have a, a kind of knock-on effect. And I wouldn't completely rule out RB Leipzig yet. I don't know if I'm just catching their good games, but when I've watched them this season, I've been impressed. And Graham, you mentioned that game, that game against Leipzig at the start of the season and a few games where they've been scoring three goals, four goals, five goals this season. Are there any other sort of, if, if you were going to look, go and look back at a key yeah. Leverkusen performance this season, is there one you'd sort of ask the listeners to go back and check out? Well, this might be a bit obvious, but I think the 2-2 draw away to Bayern Munich was, was a statement that they could really compete against the best, the best on their own patch as well, because that game was at the Allianz Arena. Uh, it was similar to the Leipzig game in the way that both teams created chances, but Leverkusen, they never looked out of their depth in the same way that, how many times have we seen Dortmund go into that situation and we think, oh, Dortmund might have a chance in this game and then they get thumped by Bayern Munich. There's a mental block there or something that stops that, uh, Bayern, uh, Bruce Dortmund excuse me, from competing against Bayern Munich. And Leverkusen in that game, I know it's only one single game, but they didn't seem to have that that same barrier. So that match sticks in my mind, even though it's not a win. The other performance that gets mentioned is the 4-0 win over Union Berlin. Union Berlin mm. have obviously been in bad form this season, but it was such a complete performance. And it also came a couple days after Leverkusen had been in Kazakhstan in the Europa League. So fatigue might have been an issue. That was mentioned before the game, but they were completely relentless and they could have scored more than than four against a Union Berlin team that were made to look, I was going to say ordinary, less than ordinary in that match. 
Yeah, I had that Union Berlin one on my list as well, Graham. Not not because of any of the narrative stuff, right? There is some narrative stuff that comes into it. Union Berlin in the Champions League, and they had an incredible year last year, and we talked about their season as we were winding up the, the end of the year last year. But the reason why I had that 4-0 on my list, match day 11, that was last month, would have been in November, is because of what it shows about what this Bayer Leverkusen team can do, right? Union Berlin, we know how they want to play. They sit deep, they put a bunch of numbers behind the ball, they struggle in the attack, they don't really open up the game. Bayer Leverkusen knew, coming into that match, what they were going to have to do. They were going to have to break down a team that is not interested in playing with the ball and moving forward to give you opportunities in behind their back line. And Leverkusen did it. They scored four goals, and they didn't just create chances in the attack. They, they did, but they didn't just do that. They also locked things down defensively. They allowed two shots, both low-quality shots in that game for Union Berlin. It was completely one-sided in a game where everybody on both sides and everybody watching knew exactly what the game was going to look like structurally, and Bayer Leverkusen could still impose themselves on a team, granted an inferior team, but a team that tries to make up for that gap by how they tactically set up their defense. That result, along with the other two games we talked about, the Leipzig win on match day one and that 2-2 draw with Bayern on match day four, it's those three results for me in the league that stand out the most because of what they show about what this Leverkusen can do against all sorts of different types of opponents. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more about how this team sets up, how it plays, and the key players within. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. We're talking by a Leverkusen. Joe, can we dig into the, the formations and the tactics a little more? Oh, it's a, yes. uh, from, from the layman over here, it's a three-man defense with a double pivot and magic coming from it. Yeah, <laughs> you just you just did the whole thing, Ryan, in their possession play. <laughs> there are more layers to it than that, but I mean, prop, props to the layman because that's, that's spot on. Xabi Alonso has been very clear and how he wants to set this team up. Pretty much from the day he took over last season in October, but it is very, very clear this year, and it has been a remarkably consistent lineup. Like, the players have had time to come in, get chemistry with each other after some moves in the transfer market, which we will get to. This team very clearly knows how they want to play. They love the ball right now. 61% possession this year. That's second in the Bundesliga, only to Bayern Munich's 62.7% possession. Those two teams both love to have the ball, and it was split much more evenly when they met and drew earlier in the season in that game that we already talked about in the first segment. That number, that possession number for Bayer Leverkusen, 61%, is way up this year. So Xabi Alonso comes in last year. We already talked about it. They're in the relegation zone. Eight games in, they're struggling. They have to make a managerial change. Alonso went in and said, well, you know, we're going to be a counterattacking team. He called this team thinking back to last year, a counter-attacking team. Like, those are his words, not my words. They still averaged 52% of the ball last year, so that's not really what we think of as a team that always plays on the break. But they were, there was a real element of this team being more pragmatic and saying, okay, we're going to go out there and try to do whatever we can to scrap and put some results together. There's a quote from sporting director Simon Rolf, uh, Bayer Leverkusen sporting director, who said, Shabi is not a dogmatic manager. When necessary, the team knows how to defend or be pragmatic in certain situations. It's not always the beautiful buildup from the back. Finding a way to win is what matters to him more than anything. So this year, they have the fifth lowest direct speed. So that means they're moving, moving the ball towards goal, like meters per second forward, I think is how Opta calculates that stat, at the fifth lowest rate in all of the Bundesliga, which means they like to do a lot of the patient possession stuff, but Bayern are second lowest in that category. So they're still not Leverkusen. They love the ball, but they're still not all the way married to that. There is an element, I think, of necessary pragmatism to how they play because they don't spend Bayern Munich money, right? No, nobody in the Bundesliga spends Bayern Munich money. Nobody can, or, or at least nobody does. And so you come out there and there has to be an element of sacrifice along the way. 
All of that being said, and I know it feels like maybe I'm talking out of you know both both sides of my mouth here. They do really love the ball. They have the most sequences of 10 plus passes in the Bundesliga this year by a ton. They're at 300 compared to Bayern Munich next at 247 compared to Stuttgart next at 209. And again, there's the game in hand thing here, but they're still going to lead the league in that category. So it is a really healthy mix of mostly possession play, but sometimes they will back off against big teams or in big moments. They'll back off and say, okay, you can have the ball. We're going to let our players be elites in transition. They play out of that 3-4-3 shape, Ryan, that you mentioned. They're fluid with the ball in possession. A center back will push forward. Oftentimes, they'll keep Alex Grimaldo deeper at left wing back, and that kind of shifts the shape into a wonky, lopsided 4-2-4 shape. Granite Jocko will push forward out of the double pivot, but players know where to go. They understand the rotations. They understand where to be on and off the ball, and it is a joy to watch. Joe, could you just jump back for me and uh, talk a little bit more about that speed of direct play, the the fifth slowest or the fifth slowest speed in the Bundesliga, I think is what you said. Yeah. Can you tell us a little, little bit more about what that means? Is that Does that relate to, uh, does it imply they're not playing as much in transition or? What, yes, what? yes, that's it. So exactly, Ryan, that's exactly what it means. So the idea here is that you're moving the ball towards goal at a slower rate than most of the rest of the league, right? So Opta defines this as a measure of how quickly a team progresses the ball upfield in meters per second. So they, they go and look at how how forward, how vertically you're moving the ball and how long it's taking you to do that, right? It's not too hard to calculate as you watch a game. They can pull out the stopwatch and, and figure all that stuff out. So Bayer Leverkusen are slower moving upfield than most teams in the Bundesliga. They're fifth in that stat which you would expect from a team that's going to dominate the ball, right? Teams are naturally mm-hmm. going to sit in. They're going to have to work harder to move the ball upfield. But the point of comparison there is Bayer Leverkusen are fifth, so they, they do it more than almost every team in the Bundesliga. Bayern Munich are second in that stat. Bayern are even slower. Teams are sitting in even deeper against Bayern. So that gets at the idea of, yes, Leverkusen really are a patient possession team at heart. That is what Xabi loves, and that's not a great surprise when you think about him as a player. But they are slightly more pragmatic and a little bit more willing to open up the game and play on the break than the real giants of the Bundesliga historically in Bayern Munich. Wow, that's really interesting. And by the way, I do hope they are using a stopwatch like a notepad to record that stat. And click. Excellent. Excellent stuff. I I say that, but uh, not that long ago, uh, a friend of mine used to work at Wimbledon, the tennis tournament, where they do the stats for IBM. And literally, it was writing where all the balls were hit. Uh, It wasn't on on computers not that long ago. I was going to say, as as someone who has a little bit of insight into how Opta collect data, it's not too far removed from that sort of thing. It's someone watching a game and then just just registering it. Yeah, so it's kind of like that. Indeed. Uh, Graham, so a little bit more about the identity of this team. Obviously, with the goals, uh, they're scoring in some of these games, which you've mentioned in the first part of this podcast, you, you we, we categorize them as an attacking team. I suppose what I didn't appreciate is something we've also touched on in this episode is their defensive fortitude. And there's a Bundesliga.com article that's up at the moment, which has some really good stats about them. They're, they're one of only two teams yet to have conceded a goal on the counter-attack. Uh, only Bayern have conceded fewer goals and they've kept five clean sheets. It's it's a, they're, they're solid as well, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And I think to be a truly elite-level manager, which is kind of what we're projecting forward for Xabi Alonso is to get to that sort of level, you need to be an all-rounder. You need to be um, adept on uh, all sides of management. And that's what Joe's kind of outlined as how they've gone from this counter-attacking team, now more of a possession team. And I think that that progression has really worked in making Leverkusen a, a, a more rounded team. Um, they like to counter-press. So on the defensive side of the ball, they like to counter-press to win, to win the ball uh, high up the pitch. I wouldn't say it's a classic high press, but they use a 3-2 box in the midfield area and they'll, they'll push opponents wide. And that's often the, the, the pressing trigger and they pounce in that in that moment and um, watching some of some of the game tape from Leverkusen's games this season they do like to stay quite narrow when they're out of possession yeah. and defending quite low obviously I've just mentioned the counter pressing element but even if you are able to maintain possession for a period against Leverkusen they are quite a combative team defensively so we're talking about blocks and interceptions they do have those kind of players as well so they've got both sides of of, of their game um, can I just mention quickly the wing backs because that's where my that's where my eye is most commonly drawn or most frequently drawn when I when I watch um, Bayer Leverkusen because obviously we've seen loads of teams at the elite level use wing backs but Alonso pushes his wing backs particularly Jeremy Frimpong on the right yep. side extremely high up the pitch if you look at the average position of Leverkusen's players this season Frimpong is 
either their most advanced player or he's pretty much as, as advanced as uh, Boniface is as the, as the centre forward. And Grimaldo's very high on, on, on the other side as well. And the wing backs, it makes a back three with four ahead of them. And then it's usually two dual tens in behind a, a central striker. And out of possession, that will become like a five, three, two kind of shape. That's their most common um, pressing structure. Although sometimes it can be a five, two, two, one um, sometimes. But I just, I, I like the way that Joe's mentioned how how they like to maybe slow games down in possession and they have this kind of close connection passing structure or possession structure. So they'll frequently have six or seven players very, very close to each other. And what they do is they like to have neat little passes between those players in close proximity. The games may be a little bit slower in those moments and they're counting on the opponent over compacting in those moments and leaving space to then exploit with a pass out wide or in behind for Frimpong or Boniface or, or, or whoever. Um, obviously, you need a high level of technical ability to do this, but you also need a good d- deal of positional rotation is the other thing about this Leverkusen team that's very, very impressive to obviously stop it from becoming predictable. And Leverkusen have that as well. So the wing backs, I think, are key to Leverkusen not becoming stale, not becoming predictable, because yes, they do have that close connection possession element but they also have that more direct element into players like Boniface and uh, and Frimpong in particular. Yeah and that's one of the things that I've really come to enjoy about Shabby the manager. I find it hard a little bit to evaluate managers sometimes because it's hard to get a real feel for how much they're impacting the game right it's the players who are out there on the field but there are some things about how this Leverkusen team play team plays that really does that really does make me think back to Shabby Alonso and some of the instructions that he's giving. And Graham, you mentioned Frimpong getting really, really high on that right side. I think I mentioned earlier, Grimaldo staying a bit deeper on that left side. Xabi looks at how his players want to play. He looks at where they can specifically help the team, where they can thrive as individuals, and how that then sets up the players around them to succeed. Both Grimaldo and Frimpong have ridiculous attacking numbers this year. Grimaldo scored you know, a ton of goals, and that's not likely to stay... At least he's not likely to continue scoring at that rate. I think he's got seven goals so far this year. Frimpong has, has several as well. You know, they are both really, really strong at getting forward. But as the year goes on, if listeners are watching, they'll see Grimaldo drop a bit deeper. They'll see Frimpong push a bit higher. They'll see Florian Verts drop in or, or Hoffman, depending on the game, in the front three. It is a lot of looking at what these individual players can do within a general structure and making those little tweaks along the way. And I, I think that is something that really speaks well of Shabby's manual, uh, managing ability, excuse me. Yeah, Joe, it's definitely been Alex Grimaldo who's caught my eye this season so far because, as you mentioned, seven goals and mostly bangers from what I can yeah. tell as well from him, which is uh, also uh, great. But who who are the who else are the key difference makers in this team? Maybe in, in more in more central positions. Yeah, so there's a couple that I think we have to spotlight, and the first one is Florian Verts, who is phenomenal, still still really 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 young. I feel like he's been around for you know five years or so at this point, but he's still only 20 years old. He's been in the picture for a while, and that speaks obviously to his talent, right? When you're young, minutes is an excellent indicator of potential and of, of where you're going to go. If you're getting real minutes at a high level at 18 years old or 17 years old or whatever it is, that speaks very well of where you're going in your career. He's so good both on and off the ball, usually playing in one of those half space roles. So if we think about Bayer Leverkusen's shape, Ryan, as you described it, as this 3-4-3 in possession, which is what it is, it'll be Boniface leading the line as the number nine, and, and we'll talk about him, don't worry. He's leading the line, and Verts is off, off the shoulder, right? He's dropping into the pockets, he's hanging out in the half spaces, and he's so good both on and off the ball for anyone at any age, let alone a 20-year-old, really well-rounded, provides consistent goal-scoring threat. He's not an elite goal-scoring winger. But I think of him almost as like this box-arriving midfielder when the ball is, is maybe on the weak side. He has three goals so far this year in the Bundesliga. He's a good provider. But really what he is is he's a link player. Yes, he has some creativity. He has the vision in the final third. But he is a phenomenal link player. The 98th percentile among attacking midfielders and wingers in the Bundesliga right now in progressive passes. 87th percentile for take-ons. 87th percentile for progressive passes received. He opens up pockets to get on the ball. He finds space. He receives while under pressure, turns, and plays forward. He is a key cog that keeps this Leverkusen machine moving along. And then quickly, another name that I have to mention, because I know I know we'll get to him, and there's plenty more we can say about Verts as well. It really is Victor, bon- Victor Boniface. He's been incredible this season. Just 22 years old, almost 23. Has eight goals in the Bundesliga, another four in the Europa League. Great underlying numbers already well past his scoring total from from his time in Belgium last year. So he comes in from Union over in Belgium 
and he has been lights out this year. You watch the tape. Physically, he's impressive. Technically, he's impressive. His vision and ability to find space off the ball is really, really good. This guy is somebody who, I mean, Leverkusen, even though they're they're posing a title challenge right now on top of the Bundesliga, they're still not always able to keep on to their top talents. Don't be surprised. Maybe these rumors are already out there and I haven't seen them. If we see Victor Boniface to Manchester United or Victor Boniface to Chelsea reports, because he is a player from what I've seen this year, granted still somewhat small sample size, but he's a player that I think could go on to thrive at the absolute highest levels of this yeah. game. I haven't seen those reports, Joe, but I'm sure they are out there. I'm sure that speculation is already swirling because, as you kind of outline, centre forwards in his mould, as good as he is, are exceptionally difficult to find. And it feels like Leverkusen finding him from uh, Union in, 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 in Belgium this season has been a real catalyst for them to take the next the next step this season. I don't think they're doing what they're doing if, if they haven't signed Boniface for, by the way, great name, especially if you're a Scot. That face essentially <laughs> means like a pretty face in Scottish dialect. It's a great name. But he's a fantastic player, a massive, massive fan, fan of his. B- big, fan of, big fan of Florian Wirtz as well. He scored one of the goals of the season so far. I think it was against Freiburg in October where he dribbled all the way from the right wing. I think he actually beats a couple players twice. He goes back for a second goal and beats them and then curls a finish into the into the top corner. I think he scored that goal on the same day that Harry Kane scored from the uh, halfway line for Bayern Munich, which is a little bit unfortunate <laughs> for him that he didn't get the headlines. But yeah, he's a, he's a phenomenal player. And when Joe's talking about players maybe being picked off and Leverkusen not being able to keep hold of their best players. I understand why Joe goes to Boniface, but Verts is the one I'd be worried about because I know for a fact there is a lot of reporting that a certain Bavarian club are interested. You'll be shocked to find this out, that, that Bayern Munich are interested in, in, a, in a, a young German international for another rival team. Mm. But that reporting has been swirling around for a while. And if I were Leverkusen, I would I would fear that they might lose him to the mothership. Yeah, that that feels like a very Bayern Munich thing to do, obviously. Street, uh, weaken your rivals and strengthen yourselves. Also, Graham, I don't know, I just feel like he, he'd go like a tall West Ham or someone like that. For, for crazy money as well. Florian Verts, West yeah. Ham. Yeah, he feels like one of those, those pushed about at West Ham kind of signings. I no? think you're giving West Ham a little bit too much credit. Okay. I think I think he's going to like a Real Madrid. Or I think he's going to Bayern Munich is what I think is going to happen. Okay. But um, I know Mohamed Kudus was was a good player and I was a little bit surprised West Ham were able to get him. But I think Verts is, is kind of a, a potential tier one player. And there's a few potential tier one players in this Leverkusen team. Just to, to highlight someone else, Edmund Tapsoba, I think is really important to how they play out from the back. That's his job in the back three to progress the ball because the other two players who are uh, Kosonu and Jonathan Ta, they're more kind of ball carriers. And they have important roles as well. But the way that Leverkusen build up, they need someone who can pass it out from the back. Those players are very, very valuable in the modern game. So Tapsoba, I'm sure, I'm sure I saw a report linking him with Tottenham, which doesn't surprise me at all. And then just to highlight him again... Um, watching this Leverkusen team, I wouldn't say he's their best player, but I, I really am pretty high on Jeremy Frimpong and his importance to this team. I think he's their most important player. He's someone that I've watched a lot of at Celtic. He's a real character. I've spoken to him before, and I wonder if he's still got the oh my days catch phrase that he had in Scotland. That was He said that all the time. Celtic printed t-shirts up and everything that said oh my days. He says, uh, Jeremy Ach meine Tage, that's what he says. <laughs> Perhaps, I presume that's German for uh, for oh my days. Right next, Ryan Bailey. Uh, but he's taken another couple steps forward in his development since then. Um, as I mentioned, he's played as a right-sided wing-back in this team, um, and he really is a wing-back. I mentioned this in the weekend review on Monday. I've seen speculation linking him with Premier League teams like Manchester United and, and, and Tottenham as well, I think, although they'd be looking for a, a, a right wing-back, so that would work for him. My United are looking for a right-back. He hasn't really played as a right-back for Leverkusen. Yes, he is part of that back five in the defensive structure, but he's so attack-minded. He's basically a winger. So I hope that when the time comes, and I think this is the case with a lot of these Leverkusen players, they will make a move beyond this team. They'll make one further move. I hope he's I hope he's wise with the team that he, p- he picks to join because I'm not convinced that he's an elite level right back. All right, let's just do the rest of the lineup while we're at it because I think we're, <laughs> we're almost all the way there and I think it's worth doing. One player who's actually just on my list underneath the likes of, of Boniface and Wirtz and, and is Lucas Hirdecki, who's been fantastic for them in goal this season. He's saving almost one-fifth of a goal per game over expected, which is the fifth best in the Bundesliga. I like to use that metric a lot. You know, goals saved more than expected. It gives you an idea of how goalkeepers are doing, saving shots based off of where they come in 
on the goal mouth, right? So if it's in the corner, you get a lot of credit for saving that shot. If it's right down the middle, you don't get as much credit for saving that shot. So he's saving difficult shots and putting Leverkusen in a better spot each and every game. 34-year-old Finnish goalkeeper has been really, really strong for them this year. We mentioned both wingbacks. Graham, you went through the back three a little bit. Looking at the midfield quickly, you have two players. One coming in from Arsenal this past year. Give him his flowers. Give him his flowers. He's been great. He's been really, really strong. It's a different role than what we saw Zaka, what we saw Xhaka in for for bits of last season with Arsenal, where he was pushed a bit higher. But Xhaka will still get forward, but he is the more advanced member of the double pivot at the heart of Leverkusen's 3-4-3 shape. Next to Ezekiel Palacios, Argentine midfielder, 25 years old. Palacios does so much of the dirty and simple stuff at the base of midfield, covering ground, cleaning up messes, all that stuff, putting out fires, whatever cliche you want to use. And Xhaka is more the finesse player, breaking lines all the time, getting forward more all of that stuff. And then the last member who I think we only mentioned very, very briefly is Jonas Hoffman, who came over in the summer transfer window from Borussia Mönchengladbach as the Musa Diaby replacement. And he has been super productive in the attack. He's more of a possession player than Diaby is. Diaby loves to get on the break and is dangerous in those moments. That transition going from Diaby to Hoffman kind of symbolizes the tactical changes that Xabi Alonso made going from last year where he stabilized or helped stabilize Leverkusen to this year where he wants to impose more of Leverkusen's game on other teams. Hoffman's got five goals and five assists and to me it looks pretty sustainable when I watch him play and look at the numbers. He and Verts and Boniface make an, a really, really, really dangerous attacking trio. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, we'll ask the big question, can this Leverkusen team really go the distance? Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to The Big Thing. Uh, Graham, you were talking about uh, distributing flowers earlier mm. uh, in this podcast. Have we given enough to Chabi Alonso himself? Um, what, what, like, are we, are we going to ha- have him in that elite bracket of coaches in the coming years, do we think? Is he, is he setting himself up for a, uh, you know, a career in managing. Will, will, will the kids remember him as a manager or a player, I suppose, is what, what I'm asking. <laughs> well, the kids probably already remember him as a manager, which makes me feel old. Um, every so often you get a feeling that a new Tier 1 manager is emerging. It doesn't happen very often at all, but a few years ago, I guess it was Julian Nagelsmann that people had that sense about. I think back to Klopp at Dortmund, I've already mentioned that, and it was just obvious he was going to be this kind of generational manager. I wouldn't go that far with Alonso yet. But yeah, I think people are looking at this Leverkusen team as sort of his thesis statement as a manager. This has marked him out as arguably the best young manager in in, in Europe right now. He's been linked with Real Madrid. Poor Ancelotti is getting questions about that. Is he going to stand aside at the end of the season? And his former player, of course, Xabi Alonso, replace him. Um, I've seen links with Liverpool. Of course, Klopp is is, is still there, but is he the successor to, to, to Klopp at Liverpool? So there's already speculation about him making that next step in his career. And there was this expectation that Xabi Alonso would be a good manager. So he got his first job in charge of uh, Real Sociedad's B team. And he was offered the Gladbach job not so long after that. He turned that job down in the end, which I thought at the time was was quite a bold decision because that's a, that's a good job to, to, to have as your first senior management job. But he takes a Leverkusen job in October 2022. And um, as Joe mentioned, they were in relegation trouble at that time, guides them to sixth place last season. Um, and so has made an, an, instinct, an instant impact. The interesting thing about Alonso is how many great managers he's played under as a player. So most notably, he played under Pep, at Bayern and he's spoken about how he learned a lot from him and 
at that stage of his career, he's already thinking about coaching. So he was essentially taking notes while he's playing under, under Guardiola. But he also played under Carlo Ancelotti and Jose Mourinho at Real Madrid and then Rafa Benitez for Liverpool and Vicente Del Bosque for Spain. So that is, that's a lot of different influences and playing styles and ideologies and also in different countries. You know, he's played in Spain, he played in England, he played in Germany. He's very, very well-rounded in that regard. And I, I think... You can kind of see Joe was talking about how they're well-rounded as a team and how they've gone from transition kind of counter-attacking style to a more possession style. That's the thing about Xavi Alonso that's really impressive to me is that he does seem to be so well-rounded at this stage of his career. And obviously playing under great managers doesn't always mean you'll be a great manager yourself, but I think you can see how much he's soaked up in the way that his teams play. And even things like how hands-on he seems to be I watched some footage of him on the on the training pitch Taylor and I were talking about this piece of footage a few weeks ago oh, yeah. where he's playing a part in training and he's setting up um, attackers for shots on goals and some of the passes let me tell you that man can still pass a football some of the passes <laughs> were outrageous with the spin that he was putting on them but even things like he speaks fluent German and he takes all of his pressers in German and you can see him having quite intimate discussions with his players on the training pitch or in warm-ups before games so I think he's a manager who appreciates the details, which is a very kind of Pep Guardiola thing, a very modern sort of manager thing. So even looking beyond his Leverkusen team on the pitch, you get the sense that, and obviously he needs to make good career decisions and things can fall apart very quickly in football, but you do get the sense the full package is there for him to be an elite level manager. Uh, okay, Joe, I'm sold. He, he's, he's my new hero. How about you? I think I'm inching closer and closer towards that side with an element of caution as well. So I think I've made it clear at this point, I am I'm pretty high on what Xabi Alonso has done. I do think it's always important, though, to, to look at the rest of the context, right? You could give Pep Guardiola the Houston Dynamo, and they're probably still not MLS Cup favorites with their current squad, right? That's just one example. But player quality matters. And so we can give Xabi Alonso a lot of credit. But I think it's also important to go ahead and look at the rest of, of what's happened around Leverkusen from last year to this year. And that's when I want to give credit to, I mentioned him already, Sporting Director Simon Rolf and CEO Fernando Caro. They've played a big part here as well with Leverkusen's summer signings. Four key players, four key starters for this team coming in. And I'm not saying Xabi Alonso didn't have a, a part to play in some of this stuff. It's hard to know exactly without being on the inside. But Victor Boniface, Alex Grimaldo, Granite Xhaka, and Jonas Hoffman all come in to the team this year. Four key players. A bunch of the goals are between three of those four guys. So a lot of this is... Shabby giving his team a system and, and allowing them to thrive, right? Having a framework that allows these players to grow out. Think of it like a, he, he's the pot, right? He's the pot and the soil and the players can grow out of that stuff, but you still need seeds. Like you still need players to come out here and do this stuff on the field and Leverkusen have those players. And, and Shabby is not the sole person responsible for this turnaround. With that being said, I read out the quote from Rolf earlier about, you know, some of Shabby's le less dogmatic tendencies. And I, I like some of the quotes from Shabby as well, where he recognizes that he has influence but that it's also in part down to the player. So he said this, quote, Xabi Alonso said this, quote, passing quality gives us a lot of control, especially in the first structure. The defenders with the midfielders, I'm interjecting now, think about that as build up, right? Build up an early possession when they have clear systems and structures in place. Okay, back to Xabi. But after that, we need a change of tempo. We need to be right there behind the midfielders. And then different things need to happen. The talent needs to arise. And those things that you can't train that much that are natural talent of your players. So he's talking about when you get into the final third, you need players who can break blocks. You need players who have quality on the ball to go and do that stuff. Well, Xavi 100% deserves credit is he's created the structures or helped create them that get Leverkusen into those good spots for then the players that have been brought into the team and that were already there last year to go out and thrive. They can thrive on top of that stuff. So yeah, I, I really do enjoy a lot of what Xabi Alonso has done. I'm I'm 100% with Taylor on this and with you guys at this point. They're incredible to watch. I think they're a genuinely good team. I do think, and this is a bit of a spoiler, I do think a drop-off is coming because I don't think they can sustain an Alex Grimaldo banger every other game. But they're fun, and I think Xabi Alonso has done a really impressive job in a very short amount of time. He's got an elite-level manager aesthetic as well. Ryan, I can imagine you're you're a big fan of his aesthetic as a manager. The old kind of Lulu? smart trousers, what? white mm. trainers, and, and, and knitwear look is, 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 is a strong look. That's how you, If you were a manager, that's how you would dress, isn't it, Ryan? 100%, yeah. Postmodern, detail-oriented, on point. I love it. 
I love Let's it. be so, honest. Yeah. Xavi Alonso could wear a plastic bag and it would be pretty much fine. So <laughs> uh, that's true. Joe, I love the way you called uh, a prediction a spoiler just because you hate predictions so much a moment ago as well. I do appreciate <laughs> that as a detail uh, of your persona. Um, Graham, a- an impossible question for you. Is this by Leverkusen's one shot? Is this their hot season? Is this their Napoli last season where they've got that one, they've got the whole band together and all the pieces are in place? Or is this building for a sustained challenge? It kind of does feel like their one chance just because what we, what we spoke about earlier, their, their best players are already being linked with, with, with bigger, richer clubs. And so replacing those players is going to be very, very difficult. And then potentially replacing Javi Alonso. If he goes to Real Madrid at the end of the season, that is a, a gigantic loss. So yeah, it kind of... It kind of does feel like they're, they're, they're one chance. We, we see it all the time, right? We see it with every season. It feels like there is a, there's a surging team. Last season, as you mentioned, Ryan, it was, it was Napoli. A couple of seasons ago, it was Ajax. And it's the same story. They get picked apart. They, they struggle to replace those players. They don't reach the, the same heights again. And unfortunately, that's just the landscape of modern football. So it's obviously impossible to project into the future. No for a fact. But yeah, I do get this, the sense that this is, this is their shot. Joe, any thoughts on that? Uh, is this the one shot? Don't miss your chance, mum spaghetti, etc. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is their best chance for the next several several seasons. I could see if you know they keep most of this squad together for next season and find a couple of really high level replacements in the transfer market. I could see them running this back to an extent next year. But if if this is your best chance, I think next year you know you're maybe sitting at. 60% of where you are this year, or at least of your title chances, which are already still, you know, less than 50 because yeah. I wager Bayern are, are still 50 plus. And and even this season, there are things that makes me th- that make me think, oh, they're going to get caught by Bayern. Uh, Florian Wirtz, by the way, we're recording the day after Wirtz came off in the Pokal last night with an ankle injury. Of course, he had a bad ACL injury not so long ago. So that that that's a worry. We don't know the extent of that injury. AFCON is coming up in the new year. And that means Tapsoba, Boniface, Kasunu, and a couple other squad figures will be will be missing for a month. Um, I know the Bundesliga takes a takes a long winter break, but I, I still think there's an overlap with the season mm. there. So that that is something to, that will have to be absorbed. And with those players missing, particularly uh, Boniface and Tapsoba, it might be difficult for them to maintain the the same sort of momentum. And Bayern don't have they're not, they're not losing the same number of I actually can't think of really any players that they'll be losing to to Afcon. So that's an advantage to them because they needed another advantage, of course. <laughs> they need all they can get at this point, Graham, for sure. All right, that leads me to my final question. Then uh, are they going to do it? Uh, unfortunately, Joe. Uh, if I'm going to give a spoiler, it's that I think Bayern Munich are going to accelerate in the second half of the season as they typically do i think the afcon is a key factor here as well uh but i do look for i do think that leverkusen can you know push on and maybe do something interesting in the champions league next season what are you thinking yeah agree with all that ryan and it, it's hard to say this to predict well I'll, yeah Bayern Munich are going to come in and win the title without sounding dismissive of leverkusen and i, I want to try to do my best to avoid that because what they've done this season so far has been incredible. They, they performed at a higher level than I thought they would. They are one of the most enjoyable teams to watch in Europe, which is important and is gratifying for fans, I would imagine. Because if, if you go into a season knowing that you're very, 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 very unlikely to win the title, you have to have something else to get you from game to game. And Leverkusen are entertaining their fans right now, and they're playing at a level that is well above you know almost every other team in the Bundesliga and, and most every other team in the big leagues around the world. Right. So I have a ton of respect for what they've done this year. That being said, Bayern Munich, I still believe, are the better team of these two. I'd imagine that, I mean, they've already got the edge on goal difference. So three points that that Bayern Munich are missing from their game that Leverkusen have in hand. I'd imagine that we're maybe a week or two from Bayern Munich hopping back up to the top of the table. So I don't think Leverkusen are going to win this year, but I think they've had a really, really successful campaign so far. And they're on track to continue having that just to a slightly different degree as the year goes on. Yeah, without stating the obvious, it's, it's Bayern Munich that are the big factor here. Ryan, you mentioned Bayern Munich accelerating in the second half of the season. 
I'm not really sure that'll happen because Bayern Munich are already kind of foot to the floor right now. It's just yeah. Bayer Leverkusen have, have been there with them. I think there will be a slight drop-off in Bayer Leverkusen's results and because of those underlying numbers, which have been very good, but they're, they, they are still outperforming them. Uh, I'm not I'm not always dismissive of outsiders and title challenges. I think back to last season with Napoli, and I think we all went pretty early in that season saying Napoli were, were going to win the Scudetto. The key thing there was we looked around at the competition and nobody in Serie A seemed to be very good besides Napoli. And unfortunately for Leverkusen, that, that isn't the case in the Bundesliga this season. Bayern Munich are, are very good and they have a certain English striker who's added a lot of goals to that team. That's maybe the only thing actually that could stop stop it from happening is a, is a Harry Kane injury of some sort um, could could potentially yeah. have a big knock on, a big impact on, on, on Bayern Munich. But besides that... Unfortunately, I envisage another Bavarian title in May. There could also be heavy snow every weekend in Bavaria until April. That might help. What, and they just don't play the matches? Yeah, too, no ma- too many matches to reschedule. You, you, <laughs> yeah. They just give the results to the other team. Yeah, if that happens, then potentially Leverkusen win it. Yeah, I don't have the rule book, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah, and you're quite right about maybe not accelerating. I, I suppose in previous seasons, Graham, Bayern Munich might have had a loss or two before Christmas, and they tend to go stronger in the second yeah. half. But uh, I suppose, yeah. They'll uh, keep accelerating. Oh, mm. I agree with that. Indeed, the pedal still on the floor for Bayern Munich. All right, Joe, any more about Bayer Leverkusen before we uh, uh, wrap up this big thing? Taylor, I'm sorry you couldn't be here to do this show with us. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying uh, welcoming a new human being into your family and that listening to this episode is something that gives you something to do when you're inevitably not sleeping over the next X number of months. So that's my final thought. Wonderful stuff. Graham, anything more to add? The Castor factor, that might also stop Leverkusen. You can't have a, t- a team, a title-winning team wearing Castor kits. So maybe that's the maybe that's the real curse, actually. Because they're too slick or heavy or whatever they are, shiny. <laughs> they're weighed, that- weighed down by the sweat. <laughs> yeah, like Aston Villa. Oh, well, dear. Aston Villa would be running away with the Premier League title this season if it wasn't for the Castor kits. That's true. When spring comes and the temperatures start to go up again, trouble for Leverkusen kit-based. All right. Thank you very much, Graham. Thank you very much, Joe. It's been a pleasure big thinging with you both. And listener, thank you very much indeed for joining us on this one. We're going to be back on the feed on the weekend. Joe and Gus in Columbus, Ohio, Joe. Doing (gasps) the thing with a big game. Without skunks, hopefully. No skunks. We'll see. Special guest skunk on the show. (laughs) That's what I want. (laughs) I hope they're circling and following you, Joe, just for for the content. If they do, please put it on the Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, by the way, listener, to support this show. Thank you very much. We'll be back on the feed, as I say, very shortly. But for now, Auf Wiedersehen! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.